The following message was recorded at Beth Zion Messianic Synagogue in Jackson, New Jersey. Join us every Saturday and learn to see the truth of Messiah through Jewish eyes. Today's portion is called Vayira, I Appeared. And this comes at a time when Moses did what God said to do, had a response from the people that was not very positive, had a response from Pharaoh that was not very positive. And so the entire book ends here, and Moses said, what's the use? I'm going home. I got it all wrong. I guess if you're a slave, you're a slave. That's it. Nothing else I can do. I tried my best. You didn't read that in there, did you? Now, God uses all of the different struggles, all of the different elements of who we are to develop us into what he's called us to be. And so the title for today's message is, When God Appears, Everything Changes. Now, you may look at this and say, well, the obvious message here would be, when God appears, because he said, now you will see what I will do. Because prior to that, Moses said, for ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak your, in your name, he has dealt terribly with this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. That's pretty strong. Those are pretty strong words coming from Moses to, to God. And God simply says to him, now you will see what I am going to do to Pharaoh. With a mighty hand, he will send them off, and with force, he will drive them from the land. And then he goes on to describe what it is he's going to do, how he's going to begin this method to bring about transformation. And you know, anything that is positive has with it, it said, I said, when God appears, everything changes. So you might think when God appears, he brought the plagues upon Egypt, Pharaoh had no choice. He let them go, and everything happened. It was in the old, happily ever after. But there is something about, see, everything changes. I want to emphasize the word everything. Because what happens when God begins to work in our life, and God gives a commitment to bring about something of a change to happen, we look at our own resume. We look at where we stand. We look at what we do, what our positives and negatives are. And we evaluate, like Moses did, that we don't have the goods to produce what he's called us to do. And so we either fold and say, forget it, or we go into what is an uncomfortable experience, and that is recognizing that everything is going to change. To bring about the kinds of positive change that he is wanting to bring about means that all of our comfort zones are going to be upheavaled, or are going to be the, uh, uh, exploding around us, that all of the areas that we're used to will now be shifting and changing. It wasn't simply that Moses threw down his staff, it turned to a snake, and he said, wow, what a great parlor trick. Surely Pharaoh's going to let him go with that. And his magicians did the same thing. And then a little added bonus, his snake ate up their snakes and then turned back into his staff. That was good. But each thing that Moses did as it goes through this now, the magicians were able to also do until it came to one particular plague. And they said, there's something happening here that we don't know. 
you got to do something about it. They began to shift their position. Everything was changing. But it was also changing because when you think about it, if you went by the decision that the people made at the first glance of what happened, they basically said, Moses, we want nothing to do with you. You busybody. Who told you to come in here and mess everything up? He made it worse. Pharaoh made it worse for us than it was before. You're a troublemaker. Get out of here. And so, with his tail between his legs, he walked off into the desert and just raised his family and his flocks. No. He had a destiny that was there, and he clearly was uncomfortable with all of this. In fact, in this section, he says, Moses said to the people what he would, uh, uh, what he would do, and, and he says that... Um, Uh, he says, so we rescue them with an outstretched arm and all of that. And then Moses said to the people, uh, all these things, it says, but they wouldn't listen to, to him, verse 9, because they were so discouraged and their slavery was so cruel. And it looks like Moses really still questioned all of this. He said in verse 12, Moses said to Hashem, look, the people of Israel haven't listened to me so how will Pharaoh listen to me, poor speaker that I am? Everything is going back to how Moses evaluates himself to see that he doesn't have the goods to produce what it is that God said he's supposed to do. The mistake is he's limiting everything to what he sees in himself. When we do that, we're not addressing everything. We're addressing the things that we think should be the way they are. Or we address it based on our limited understanding. All of us do this. God calls us. God doesn't call us to do something that we can just ease right into. Because I've been doing this for years and I've got this down. Perfect fit. Everything's going to be great. But he calls us to do something in many cases that we never imagined ourselves doing. He calls us to do something beyond our comfort zone. And so to make that happen, not just everything happens to Pharaoh so that we can get out, but everything changes. Everything in Moses changes. Everything in Aaron changes. Everything in Israel begins to change. Everything in Moses, in all of his household, begins to change because God is stirring up the status quo and saying this is not going to be that way anymore when God appears everything changes but it always changes for the good even when it incorporates things that are uncomfortable and bad and so when we look at the passage in Corinthians uh, in chapter 6 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 um, he starts off by saying something about his ministry, Paul. He says, as God's fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive his grace and then do nothing with it. Very interesting passage because all believers talk about the grace of God that's been given to us. But in reality, we often come up short in accepting the grace that God's given us. And so what happens is, as fellow workers, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive his grace and do nothing with it. 
When God gives us a gift, we need to be able to exercise that gift. We need to look at it and not say like Moses did at first, who am I to go to Pharaoh? I can't speak. And he says, I'll put the words in your mouth. I'll tell you, it's very interesting. He says, Aaron will be your spokesman. Now, it's interesting. Aaron did do things. Aaron moved the rod, the staff. Aaron did different things, but Moses ended up being the spokesman. God didn't say to him, well, if you can't speak, I'll, I'll have Aaron do it. He, he gave him a comfort area and said, you won't be alone. Aaron's going to be with you. But as he began to move into this area and began to take on something bigger than himself, he recognized he was in the presence of something bigger than himself. And God began to change everything. When he did, Moses became the spokesman. Moses became the focal point. Moses was to Pharaoh as God and Aaron as the priest. He was, they were there together, the dynamic duo, maybe a trio, because God's presence was permeating in everything they did. But they were experiencing transformation, not only to change Pharaoh's mind, but in their own lives, the upheaval was bringing about a total rework of who they were. And sometimes we get used to being who we are, even if it's uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good and it's self-depreciating and it's not happening and our self-worth is somewhat distorted and kind of down and feeling bad. But when we understand who we are yoked to, things begin to change. He says in this section, don't receive his grace and then do nothing with it. I contend that most believers, myself included, take the promises of God, but don't fully understand what activating that to its full measure looks like. We're willing to settle for something better than it was, but not willing sometimes to move forward into the unknown because it's unknown. And because it's unknown, we're uncertain that we have the capacity to do what we're supposed to do. And so we look at circumstances. We look at what people say. We look at what people tell us. Oh, if you want to do that, you're not qualified to do that. You're going to have to go to university for 30 years before you can do that. Everybody has their opinion. But when God calls us to do something, he provides what's necessary to complete our need. And the question is not and should not be based on our lack of ability or lack of training or any of those things. God will provide whatever is necessary to complete that need. But it shouldn't be focusing on our performance, but looking to God who promises that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That he will provide whatever is necessary to develop everything around us to change it for the good. You know, when you look further down, he says, um, he says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 6, we try not to put obstacles in anyone's path so that no one can find fault with the work we do. And so he, he's telling them we're, we're not trying to put obstacles up. We're not trying to form debates 
and have fights with words. We are looking to establish you and to somehow bring about change. He says this, on the contrary, we try to commend ourselves in every way as workers for God by continually enduring troubles, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, overwork, lack of sleep, and food. And you look at this and you say, well, at any given point in time, it seems like if all that mattered to him was avoiding trouble and hardship and calamity, he could stop doing what he was doing because that was the, seemed like the source of all of this upheaval. Go and relax and retire early. Go and find an island to sit on and be happy. Don't worry, be happy. But what he was describing is that there is a purpose as a worker for God beyond the difficulties that we go through to get there. His desire and his passion was for the people. We commend ourselves by our purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness, by the Ruach HaKodesh, the genuineness of love, truthfulness of speech, and by God's power. And he talks about this a little bit more. Uh, he says, um, and, and some of the framing of this, he says, um, through being honored and dishonored, uh, pressed for our cause and defending, uh, praised and blamed, considered deceptive, sincere, unknown and famous. All of the different elements that are there that in our own lives often determine how we react and respond to things around us. If we're famous, you might get a big head and then suddenly feel like everything you do, you can do whatever you want. If you are depressed, you figure everyone's against you, it doesn't really matter, and why go on living? <laughs> All of these things are subject to circumstances and allowing circumstances and words and people and other things to determine what our outcome will be. But when we submit ourselves to God and do what Moses did and go forward and expect that God will provide for every need according to his riches and glory, God begins to, yes, bring the upheaval. But I venture to say when we see what Paul went through, all the difficulties, all the challenges, and technically he was living a life where he could have avoided all of that. He had the accolades of men around him, of people of learning within the Jewish community. He could have just simply been famous as a rabbi coming up through the ranks knowledgeable, all of those things. But he said, the things that were so important to me before, I count as refuse compared to the excellency of knowing Messiah. And he talks about all of these things when he has much or when he has little. He learned in all things that he can do all things through him who strengthened him. He looked that Messiah was able to provide all of his needs according to his riches and glory, that he was able to provide. It was out of that relationship that even though there were struggles and challenges, what was being produced, though he couldn't see it fully, was there as a treasure that needed to be cultivated because it was something God was doing. And no matter what he would have accomplished as a man attached to his resume, it would never compare to what happened after this. I don't believe Paul imagined that his letters that he wrote to people 
about specific issues would one day be read by millions of people around the world reading these letters to somebody else and applying it to ourselves because it's relevant to see how God worked and what God was saying. What were the dictates of God's heart? I don't believe Paul had in mind when he was writing his letters that he was going to have it published in languages all over the world, that there would be millions and millions of people reading every day from his words. I don't think he imagined it ever for a moment because it wasn't a mindset of that day to imagine that. Most people didn't read. So it wasn't something there. But you know where it came from? He studied under Gamliel, famous rabbi, famous Jewish rabbi. And you know one of the things Gamliel was known for? Writing letters. He was under, as a Tamid, as a disciple of Gamliel, he saw his rabbi always communicating through letters, writing letters, putting it in paper or parchment and sending off to people. And so when it came to this and he began to want to expand and connect with the people that he was ministering to, he began to do the same thing he had learned. He didn't know that this was going to be. He didn't go through it thinking, you know, someday I could be a published writer or someday my words... Do you understand what I'm saying? He was doing what he was trained to do, but had no idea that that was all a part of God's plan for bringing a change to everything around him. He saw the upheaval, but he saw the blessing. He saw what would be produced, and he moved forward. He didn't care if his life was at stake. He moved forward. And then when he says, don't yoke yourselves together in a team with unbelievers, for how can righteousness and lawlessness be partners? What fellowship does light have with darkness? We have to keep in mind that there are other voices out there in the world that are trying to shout down the word of God, that are trying to discredit God and his word to us, that are trying to diminish the value of what it is God's called us to do and to bring us to a place of reality. You know, you're, you're getting a little carried away. You know, you can be righteous, you can live your life, but don't push it on me and um, don't get too fanatical about it. You see people dying around you. You see people in bondage to sin. You see people living lives of despair and you want to somehow make a difference. You're not trying to persuade people to believe how you believe, but you see the need and you want to be used by God to fill that need. If it was just looking for the recognition from the people that you're ministering to, Moses, again, had good reason to just leave because not only was Pharaoh against the whole thing, (laughs) but how do you deliver a people who tell you that you're a busybody, that you've gotten away and you've made it worse and get out of our life. Who asked you to come here anyway? And you stand there and say, guys, I'm here to help. Well, great help. We don't help like that. You know, friends like you, who needs enemies? I mean, get out of here. 
He didn't go by circumstances. He didn't go by the words of men. He didn't go by their despair. He looked beyond that and said, God is bringing about a deliverance and I've got to press forward even if I don't understand. And in the process, everything changed. Everything changed around him and everything changed within him. He became the man of God. All of the patriarchs, when you look at it, look at it. When you look at their lives, they were as frail as we are. What made the difference was God worked with them in a way that changed them and everything around them. They looked to a future beyond one that they would themselves physically be in. As I mentioned before, the only land Abraham actually owned was a gravesite. And yet the promise was everywhere you look, everywhere the sole of your feet touches, I've given it to you and to your descendants. Now, Jacob might have thought when they went down to Egypt, well, there goes, you think about this, Jacob was the one through which all these promises were going, right? But Jacob didn't spend a whole lot of time in the land. I mean, think about it. He is in the land, and then he goes to Ur the Chaldees, goes to Laban's house. He's there for 21 years. He comes back. He's there for a number of years and then goes down to Egypt. I mean, he spent a lot of time out of town if this was going to be their land. And yet the promise was there, and he said to his children, don't leave me here in Egypt, but bury me in the land. And Joseph made the same request. He said, don't leave my body here. When God opens the door, you take me also and bury me in the land, the land of promise. It didn't make sense. It didn't seem real. Why would this man, Joseph, of such stature and grandeur, why would he even think about going to the land that he spent most of his life out of? That all he had when he was there was torment from his brothers. But he saw the promise. And here's the other thing he didn't see. Everything changes. What he saw was a change in his brothers. What he saw was the plan of God. What he saw that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. What he saw also was that he couldn't see was that when he died and another Pharaoh came along who did not know Joseph, all of the grandeur of being Joseph was gone. All of the connections were gone. All of the accolades and all of the wonder and all of the things he did, gone. What was not gone was the promise God made before. And God was working through all of this, working through the slavery, working through the hardship, working through all of this. If they had it good in the land, do you think they would have left? But because of the hardship and because of those things, God said, I've heard your cries, your moaning, and I will deliver you. And I'm sending Moses to do it. And Moses said, I, 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 I think you got the wrong guy. Because he couldn't see how he could do such a thing. God wouldn't say, I want you to map out a plan. Get back to me and then we'll correct it. Come up with the best plan you can because you're a pretty smart guy. He just said, he says, I don't have what it's qualified. He says, what do you have in your hand? I've got a, a shepherd's staff. Good enough. Let's start with that. God uses what he has invested in us and he expands from there. You know, one of the things that happens also is at the beginning of this 
chapter uh, uh, or at the beginning of this section, uh, it mentions also this reference to the name of God. And I want to I point out a couple of small points with this because, you see, it isn't just simply what you call him. It isn't just simply a name game. In fact, what he says here, and it's kind of interesting, he says, I am Hashem. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. And of course, El Shaddai is God Almighty. But when, when he looked at it, he said, uh, he says, although I did not make myself known to them by my name, and then it's the yud heh vav heh. I mentioned before, it, it appears to be an acronym. There is no word that in Hebrew that spells it out and that it references the, uh, the, the phrase going along with where it says, uh, I am that I am has sent me, but also where it uses the Hebrew words, past, present, and future, the ever-present one. And what you also have is that the name is used as the covenantal name of God. It, and the covenantal name, when he says, I didn't speak to them through this name uh, to your ancestors, it, it isn't, I mean, the fact that we see in the book of Bereshit, you see the name mentioned. Now, I don't know, I thought, I don't know, maybe Moses wrote it as he's writing it, but they didn't actually use the name. But it also goes to show another aspect that, that, that may be a parallel to this. And that is, prior to this, he was there taking care of things. He was God Almighty. He was there doing all of this. And now he was getting ready to bring the people into the covenant, into the covenant of mercy, into the power of God moving in their behalf. And so he now brings up the covenantal name that he is going to be known by his people because they're going to see him in action. They're going to see him as the past, present, and future, as the I was, I am, and I will be. They will see him in a way that will make his presence known, that it is his constant presence that makes the difference. Prior to this, they only looked at circumstances. And now he was presenting himself by what his name represents. Representing, I am with you. I will be with you. Even to the end of the age. All of this element was a part of it. But it was the unfolding of who he was that began to change everything around him, around them. When God appeared, he began to appear as the one who promised the covenant who promised and made commitment. And as he begins to unfold this, and by his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, he brings deliverance through the plagues and through all of these things, challenging other names. He was making a statement that he was the one true God, that he was the covenantal God. In all of these other religions and all of the other idols, they did not have a concept of a God with mercy. Think about it. They all were gods of power. They all were gods of the storm, gods of the sun, gods of the river, gods of judgment. Everything was power. And so Pharaoh was also a god. He was seeing himself as something more than he was. 
He saw himself beyond being a man. And what were the challenges that God made to show that he was set apart from the others? He disrupted everything. All of their understanding of their gods was being flushed down the Nile. <laughs> I mean, was being removed. They were like puppets in God's hands. He showed that they had no power, that he had power to control all of these things. And so their gods, the image of the power of their gods was diminished by the hand of God moving in behalf of this slave nation. And when they saw this, everything changed. In fact, in the middle of all of these plagues, things changed again. Yes, the magicians could match trick for trick, if you will, plague for plague, until a creative one came along and they said, we can't do that. There's a hand of God moving here and it's beyond our pay scale. <laughs> You're gonna have to either give us a big raise, Pharaoh, or uh, I think we better fold on this one. This is something that we've never seen before. And then when you see all of this, the stubbornness of his heart, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, Things were changing also. Why was the king, who was as a god, getting frustrated and angry? <laughs> Isn't he above that? But everything was being challenged. Even when he went to the restroom, he had frogs and everything else around him. Gods are not even supposed to use the bathroom. Nobody's supposed to know about that. <laughs> I mean, this was a god, right? Everything being taken down. And when God is making a change, it's making a change for good. Not to humiliate Pharaoh, not to make him feel bad, but he was going to have him make the change that was necessary. And the world would see the covenantal God who brings mercy. They would see a God who is not based on a new grove of trees or based on something that was carved by a man but they were going to see the hand of God moving in a way of deliverance that nobody in the world had seen before. And he made his mark. Every place in the world knows the story of the Exodus and of what happened. That was where he made his name known. And the other place that he makes his name known, he says that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that seed was through Messiah. And all of the frailties and all of the elements that were part of the human condition for the patriarchs did not diminish the work of God moving forward. It wasn't based on how great they were. In fact, it often was the fact that God uses broken vessels, uses people with frailty to bring about things that they know was not done in their power. Moses at the end wasn't saying, Boy, guys, I really did something here. Boy, did I succeed. Nobody could have done what I did. There was a humility and a brokenness even through it all because in the process of seeing God move and use us in ways that we did not expect, we don't take credit for it. We're just feeling the grace of God that allows us to be partakers in his work, to see these things come about. So the key is this, do we form doctrines or positions that establish who we are? 
We can posture ourselves in different ways. We can take political positions that posture us in different ways. We could look at things and try to evaluate it in certain ways. But when it comes down, when it comes down to it, the one thing that makes a difference is God appears. And if God doesn't appear, then we either do our own little tricks with mirrors or try to make it appear that he appears. But when God appears, everything is broken and then everything gets built up. When God appears, all of our abilities, good and bad, fall to the wayside as we bow before him and we see him bring about what we could never accomplish ourselves. When we allow God to move in our lives, we see him do things that are exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Um, there's a passage that said uh, in Romans 8, it says, if God be for us, who could be against us? In Romans 8, 31, it says, what then are we to say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I made a note here. I, I thought about this, and I've kept it here to remind me. Every time I think of that verse, I put this down. If God who provides everything is for us, why focus any longer on what we lack without him? Think about it. We spend more time talking about what our lack is than on the fact that he's with us, which means we've not allowed him to appear except in a mild way. We let him appear that he's brought us salvation. But as I mentioned before, what good is grace if you don't do something with it? There's an action that's required. And so when it says, when, it, when we say, if God, who provides everything, you say, if God is with us, yeah, but look at the challenges I have. Does it matter who's against you if God is with you? And if God is with us, then why focus any longer on what we lack without him? Because we don't have to walk in life without him. But with him, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. With him, we have everything that's necessary to complete our need and to fulfill the calling that he's put in our hearts. And then think about the contradiction. He says, who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up on our behalf? Is it possible that having given up his son, he would not give us everything else too? He wasn't ending his life. He was giving his life so that we could have access to life. When we give ourselves to the Lord, when we understand and allow grace to really come in and have its way, we don't listen and focus on what we don't have. We focus on what he is and what he says he will do. And it doesn't, it's not based on how we perform. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on something bigger, God, who when he appears, everything changes. You would like to think that if everything changes, then we can show how God appears. But see, when God appears, things get sometimes into upheaval. Things sometimes get uncomfortable. But in the process of focusing our attention where it needs to be on knowing him, the God of covenant, the God of mercy comes in and accomplishes what he sets forth in us to do. 
And so that's why Paul continually was saying, in union with Messiah, in union with him, everything has to be in union with him. And if circumstances come up that tell us, you know, I, I will say this, and I'm, I'm closing. Uh, so mark it down, check the time. I'm closing in just a couple of minutes. Um, a lot of people do that. They say, I'm through my first closing, my second closing, but I am bringing this to a close, um, especially since I just forgot what I was going to say now. No, I was going to mention one thing. You know, with everything around us, listen to the things that are out there. Listen to what's going on in the world around us. And there is this wonderful passage that I think about. You know, with right now you have the impeachment trial going on, right? Everybody listens to what's being said, and people go, oh, listen, how great. Oh, look, it's amazing. It's All the stuff, if you agree with it, it's wonderful. If you disagree with it, maybe you're a little uh, uncertain. If you look at it, there's a verse of Scripture I think is so important. I'm not talking about, look, you may disagree, you may disagree, it's fine. But I'm going to tell you something. When circumstances rise up and positions are being presented, we've got to hold back our juror's decision until all of the evidence is in. And so it's important. There's a verse that says, a man seems right till his neighbor comes and examines him or cross-examines him. The fact is that you can present all kinds of things. But when the defense comes up and says, yeah, but this was out of context. This is what the whole statement was. This is what you start to see a different picture unfold. When it comes to having relationships with people, we can form a judgment early if you want. But it says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame. And so what we need to do is, and I'm not advocating one position over another right now. I'm saying that we need to allow God to be the one to change everything around us. If there are issues that are not good, he needs to be the one to change that. If there are issues that are being hidden, he needs to be the one to change it. We are not called to make decisions based on limited understanding. And my belief is this, that when we look at just our resume or look at what we think we can do and we don't think we're qualified to do what God said to do, we're looking at circumstances. We are looking at the wrong thing, and we are, not, we are forming a judgment before God has had a chance to change everything around us. And in the process of doing that, all of our focus is on Him, and all of our attention is towards Him, and towards His appearing in every circumstance, no matter what it is, when we can look and see, where is God in this? And He appears everything changes. And like it said in that other place, we know that all things work together for good. This is not just a positive. Paul wasn't just saying, I'm going to make a positive statement. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. No, he's not making a acclamation, a statement of, 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 of affirming himself. But he is saying that there is something more going on here. He says, all things work together for good. And here's the qualifier, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If our decision is to follow a voice that is against his purpose, we are not doing it according to what he's called us to do. So it doesn't work out. 
But even when things are not working out, it works out and works for our good because everything is changing. But we don't like what we see. Stand by and don't make a judgment till you see all that God is doing. And when we do, we see him move in ways that we never imagined. We want God to appear because when he does, everything in us and around us changes. And we begin to be a voice that speaks with integrity, with honesty, and with commitment and conviction from God. And God confirms his word with signs following. They didn't create signs. God confirms his word. And if we focus our attention on him, everything will change for the good as we follow in his footsteps. Avino Makeno, our Father and our King, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for these promises that we have from you. We thank you that you are the one. We, we want to have your presence. We want to walk in the fullness of your covenant, in the fullness of your grace, and to do what you've called us to do, even if we don't fully understand how it all works. But Lord, we want you to appear. We want your presence to be in our life. We want to look to you when circumstances are discomforting around us. We want to look to you and know that you made the provision through Messiah that in everything we have opportunity to be changed, to be transformed, to be overcomers, to be overcomers of all things, to forget those things which are behind and reach to those things which are before and to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Messiah Yeshua. We are more than conquerors through you who loves us. And Lord, we want to yield ourselves to you and be able to see the things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard but are revealed by your spirit. Lord, open up our hearts. Again, Lord, if you are with us, why focus any longer on what we lack without you? You're beyond that, and we need to understand it. You appear, and we want to see everything change and work for our good and for the good of those that you've called us to minister to. We thank you, Father. Transform this world from the inside out by the power of your spirit. Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about Beth Zion, please visit our website at www.bethzion.org.